Fresh out the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Emmett. And I'm Wade. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie and popular film franchises, one each week, to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are continuing our miniseries entitled Bums, uh, Find a Way. Covering every film in the Jurassic Park series. We will fully spoil today's film, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series because currently there aren't any, but there will be soon. Wade, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Emmett. Thank you for asking. Very excited to talk about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, or as I call it, the yassification of the lost world, Jurassic Park. Uh, taking the plot from another movie and just smoothing over all of the edges. You're, no, not wrong. Not wrong at all. How are you doing, Emmett? I'm doing very well. I have a lot of... I have that spring energy. It's finally friggin' spring, Ooh. which is a dangerous time for me, but also an exciting and wonderful time for me. So, <laughs> you know... I'm excited. I hope this energy is infectious to you across the airwaves. I hope that everybody is feeling fun, feeling warm. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the North in general, and by North, I mean anything North of Southern Florida should be permanently canceled um, between the months of October and late March. Mm -hmm. And we should just not with all of that. Wait, how do you feel about this proposal to get rid of Daylight Savings Time? I am so utterly baffled by Daylight Savings Time that I couldn't tell you whether I'm for or against this proposal. Mm -hmm. I know that there's two different types of Daylight Savings Time proposals that they have. They have one, let's stay on Daylight Savings Time. One, let's stay off Daylight Savings Time forever. Either one is fine as long as we can pick one and stop like having the switch over day that's the thing that kills me like right. i don't come down strong strong on either one or the other an hour longer in the evening is nice for me whichever one that is it's this one is, is that this one this yeah that that's one. yeah i i like that one that one's cool that's non-daylight savings right yes yes so that's staying off of daylight savings forever all good with that Getting rid of it is the proposal. And then people are like, oh, but it's going to be dark in the winter in the morning. Yeah, winter sucks already. Morning sucks already. <laughs> I just don't want the 4.30 p.m. sunsets anymore. Thank yes, you. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Now, see, I read, not to be contrarian about it because I am of the same opinion, but I read that they did this in the 70s for one year. Uh -huh. And it was that thing that it was like dark when kids were going to school in the morning in the uh -huh. winter. So then they changed it back. Kids are inside. No one cares. Yeah, you're Fluorescent inside. Fluorescent lighting. I mean, yeah. like, again, school sucks. Going to school in the morning sucks. It's yeah. going to suck a little bit more if it's dark, but not a whole lot more. Yeah. Get over it. Get over it. Exactly. That's that's the main key. And you might have been wondering who this lovely voice is who's also talking about uh, daylight <laughs> savings with us. I have strong feelings about daylight savings time. <laughs> Excellent. Well, today we are honored to have a special guest. Please welcome Emily Rail Russell. Woo! 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 <laughs> Hi. Hello. Emily, what is your previous experience with this movie? And or you can start either with this or with the greater Jurassic Park movie series. Oh, okay. Y'all already talked to my husband, Evan, so you already know that I have a Jurassic Park Jeep. 
we are deep in the Jurassic Park franchise. Mm-hmm. Suddenly thrust into it back in May of 2020. So how do you feel about the Jurassic Park Jeep? You know, <laughs> I don't... Mm. <laughs> um, it's it's fun. It definitely, when I see kids that get excited, that's the fun part. But I also mm. have a lot of anxiety with like public scrutiny sometimes. So when I'm just like trying to go to like pick up my groceries at Ralph's and people are like, hey, I'm like, hi and i like (laughs) forget what i'm driving so um but it is fun getting top down it like it is cool and like it is an envious type of car but when we were um like apartment hunting a couple years ago and we were like looking at our house it's like in a neighborhood and evan's like let's just go drive by and look at it and i'm like we can't do that yet we're in like the amount of attention to already be like stalking a house that is like up for rent and then doing it in a jurassic park jeep i'm like but no, it's it's a lot of fun. We've done a lot of fun uh, experiences with it. So I definitely have enjoyed that. But I grew up with Jurassic Park, like a lot of people probably did. For whatever reason, I love the third movie. That was, I had that on, we had that on VHS. That was the one, if I were to pick, I would pull that one out. I don't know why. I think I just loved the kids and I loved the uh, pterodactyls, I think particularly. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't really revisited this one. And we watched it when it came out. We're so disgusted by it, we didn't revisit it, and now you've made me live the horrors again. So I'm ready to dive into this <laughs> movie. <laughs> okay, well, excellent. So that that just cued us right up for our first question of the day here. Emily, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, flop or bop? Uh, it is a flop in my eyes. Let's Let's get into it. It is a straight. I have never in recent memory remembered screaming in disgust more at a movie. Not only that... Also, just knowing before they tell you the plot, I think beat for beat, we were calling the movie as we watched it. Okay, wait. Flop or bop? (laughs) Definitely a bop for me. (laughs) I think this is a bizarre movie. It's just the type of big, wild swing that I really love. I think they are really going for some It's a wide things. swing. I'll give them that. <laughs> it's very reverent and reminiscent, as I said, of The Lost World, which was always my favorite as a kid. Mm. So that was a big reason why I liked this to begin with. We might talk a little bit more about this, but watching all of these kind of in a row, I was really struck by the fact that this is the first like actual sequel in the Jurassic Park series. Mm-hmm. And that right, this right. is the first movie that is taking the characters and the plot of the direct last movie, following those up directly. Mm. And did that work for it is the real question. I would say in my case, it works because I really don't like the movie before. And this movie kind of makes me turn around on some of those characters. A lot of times just by sort of shoving all of the uncomfortable parts under the bed and being like, look, the room was always clean. You never saw the room before. It's always been nice. I was glad to revisit this movie. Uh, I also only saw it in theaters and have always kind of been like, was that real? <laughs> like, Was, was that, that just a my fever, fever dream? dream? <laughs> yes, exactly. I remember I saw it in an empty theater. It was me and my mom and no one else was there. And then every time I've talked about this movie since Emmett has been like, I don't remember that. So, <laughs> and everyone online with this movie, I know everyone on the internet hates this movie, which is totally fine. But all anyone ever talks about on the internet with this movie is how dumb the prices in the auction scene are. 
So I feel like for four years, I've just seen like every few months, a post will be like, this is the worst movie ever. They only sold a dinosaur for $10 million. It would be so much higher. And I've been like, <laughs> okay, yes, okay, I remember that. But does anyone remember a movie where it suddenly becomes a Buster Keaton film and the dinosaur is winking at the camera as it is like silently about to bite a man's arm off? <laughs> Does anyone remember the other weird things in this movie? <laughs> Emmett, what what do you think about this movie? Flop or bop? This movie is a bop, and no! you're both and you're no! both right about it. You're both right about it, and it's a bop. <laughs> uh, it's okay. So Emily, you're. I think you're so right about it. You can call everything that happens like right as it's about to happen. You're like ahead of the movie consistently. But I think that's the joy. But can you at the beginning of the movie? Yes. Because there are several big lane shifts in this movie. As soon as you get like a little bit, you're like, mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, I won't get into all of my problems with it. But yeah, you definitely, as soon as they introduce you the inkling of here's where we're going to go, you're like, I know where this is going to go. There's no way around mm. it. I'll give you, it's a bop if you want to shut your brain off for like two and a half hours and just be like, I literally just want to be a vegetable right now. What can I put on for that? And then there you go. But if you want the heart, if we're talking about the heart of Jurassic Park, it just tanked. Okay, so this movie is oops all tropes. (laughs) To like such an insane degree that I find it enjoyable. That's what it's got to be. It's got to, it's like, it has to be the fact that it is like so over the top. Everyone is playing everything at 11 the entire movie. Like, the evil assistant, like, you call it from the first minute mm-hmm. you see him on screen. I mean, um, yeah. you've yeah. got you've got the army guy. It's mm-hmm. everybody in this. You've got John Hammond 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the best friend that, like, we've never heard about. <laughs> this yeah. is really, this is really... It's to watch this movie is a, is an experience that can't you can't have it any other way, and it's true what Wade said. I did not remember watching this movie. Um, I watched this movie when it came out. Certainly, I know that I did because there were a couple of moments where I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember having seen this before," but honestly, did not remember any of it when I was watching it. When they leave the island halfway, th- like uh, less than halfway through the movie. I was like, oh, huh, forgot about that. Like, forgot that the second half of this movie mm-hmm. is an auction in a in gothic a manner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's bonkers. But definitely a bop for me. It's fine. I'm sure it made a lot of money. It did, which I was pretty shocked to see, because I feel like I don't remember this being a big deal. But it made, like, almost as much as Jurassic World, oh. which I remember being a huge deal. Right. Here's another thing I like about this movie. It doesn't hate itself. And when the movie is telling you this movie doesn't deserve to exist, I tend to believe it. You don't think this movie is just pulling itself through the mud, just trying to get to the next installment? Because my personal opinion, it's like, I think you're right that we don't remember it because it's so much like Lost World. I think there are Mm -hmm. a lot of parallels there. But I think this movie being a direct sequel has fallen into the problems that a lot of these like trilogies have been facing where you're like, we have a strong opening and we want to get to that third movie to be a banger of an ending. And like all this stuff happens and you forget about the middle part where it's like you still need to have an entertaining thing that gets you to your big thing. And honestly, I'm like, I wish you would have just skipped all this and gone straight to, oh, no, they're out. 
like just get straight to them mm-hmm. being in the world we had to spend an hour and a half or whatever in the mansion talking about this killing off everybody we don't care about and still kind of being in the same spot that we were in the first movie except instead of being like they're loose and on the islands like well they're loose and like getting out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think it hates itself in its own way of like no one knew what they were doing and they just knew we had to get through it to get to the end and that's where all the flaws are coming from mm. Yeah, I definitely agree with Emily on a lot of that. I think that this movie does have a little bit of middle movie-itis where like it's a good word. You meet a cast of supporting characters who are always in these Jurassic Park movies, but like for the first time those characters don't die. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel like the main characters are even in peril for most of this movie. It does kind of feel like cartoony in that way, which I kind of enjoy to a certain degree. But I do think that like by the time you see the post-credit scene of this movie, you're like Oh, Jurassic World. That's what this whole stupid thing is <laughs> right. about. That's why I watched these two dumb movies right. so they could get to this one idea they had at the beginning. And you see that and you're like, oh, wait, I want to see that. And it's like, that's where we we're getting to. And it was just like this whole thing was hyping up the post credit scene, which is all we really wanted. Like, if we're going to talk about crazy dinosaurs, it's like, how do we escalate from here? In uh, Lost World, they're in San Diego. And that was probably like the, the mm. selling point of that whole movie was like, oh, look, they're out and terrorizing people. And it's like, now we've just taken forever to get to there where the threat is in the real world. Hmm. I do agree. But I also mostly enjoy the ride that this one takes to get there. It's a ride. <laughs> okay, here's one thing that I have about both of these newer movies. Mm-hmm. The genetically engineered to be like new and improved dinosaurs. I do not understand this plot point. Mm -hmm. I do not get how that is supposed to be compelling. I do not understand how you're going to be having created like a miracle of dinosaurs. And then we need to also make more like the dinosaurs need to be scarier. They need to be more intense but never does that really ever play out properly because all of the dinosaur chases throughout all five of these movies are basically the same stakes with mm-hmm. the same sort of peril. What is the difference basically between being eaten by a Velociraptor and being eaten by an Indoraptor and being eaten by an Indominus Rex and a T-Rex? It's all being eaten. Right. There's an interesting thing at play in the first Jurassic Park where... The Velociraptors are intelligent, but small and like sneaky and getting around. And the Tyrannosaurus causes huge destruction, but is not malicious necessarily in the same way that the raptors are. But there's none of that ever carries over into either of these past two movies. The the Velociraptors are intelligent in the first one. And the whole idea is all the animals are still just animals. In the first Jurassic World and in this one, you have Blue acting as this like humanitarian type of thing, being like relating to humans and like teaching them sympathy mm-hmm. being like oh i i'm gonna save my handler you get mm-hmm. none of that in the original jurassic park because they hammer into you these are just animals trying to eat it's when um like grant and ellie all leave the visitor center in jurassic park they're running away because like oh the t-rex is distracted let's get out of here it's yeah. not that the t-rex is like see ya cowboys like i got this let me handle this yeah it's like he's just busy trying to not die and then trying to eat the velociraptors and so it's like these more recent movies are trying to be like well dinosaurs are just like us and it's like no that's the whole point is they are wild animals that just want to eat and survive and we keep trying to make them be like more human and it's like that's not at all what any of this is about 
And to that point, I really don't care in any of these movies when the dinosaurs fight each other. <laughs> that is just like a bunch of CGI orbs to me. Right. I care about the human characters being in peril with the dinosaurs. So yeah. I feel like Jurassic World does that a lot. Three in this movie also do it a little bit. But like whenever we cut away to get like a WWE SmackDown between two dinosaurs, I am like instantly tuning out. <laughs> yeah. Right. I have this conversation with my husband a lot just about like the stakes in movies and how we've just kind of gone so far. And it was uh, like in the 90s, kind of up into early 2000s, going to the theater was an experience. So they kept making the movies bigger and bigger. Like, oh, you want to come to the theater for this. You don't want to wait. You want to see it because it's big mm. and amazing. And we've kind of now just like lost all sense of that because everything is like superhero movies and these big blockbusters. And they have to keep raising the stakes each time because like, oh, now it's not just the world in danger. It's the universe and all this kind of stuff to make it bigger and grander. There's like no scale then. So in some ways, this movie does work because you contain it all to like the mansion, which I think does help kind of like scaleify it a bit. But I think you don't have the same kind of attachment. At least I personally didn't like to any of the characters. I'm all for a movie that'll just start killing people off because they can and not trying to hold on to them for the next movie. Mm -hmm. So I think it kind of had like these like dueling factors that in some ways worked because you brought it back. You went from the big world bringing it back to a realistic type of area that we can all be like, oh, okay, here are the stakes. Mm -hmm. And kind of like, if they get out now, that is the bigger stake. But then also it's like, I just don't care <laughs> anymore because clearly there's a lot of like logic and plot holes here that don't make any sense. So these dinosaurs should have been nuked a long time ago, honestly. Because if you think about it, all the movies are canon up until that point. So they take into consideration one, two, three, and then Jurassic World. These dinosaurs have already gotten out in San Diego and they're like, this isn't going to be a problem. And it's like, it is. It is and it was, and we're just doing it again, and yeah. nobody's stopping this. Well, and you know what? That's an interesting point, even about the end of The Lost World, which depicts the dinosaurs returning to their natural environment natural environment as being like a happy ending right for the movie and it's like this peaceful like malcolm and the, his daughter and sarah are all watching that together mm -hmm. and like it's comforting to them but like that's not right either that like shouldn't be it none of it's right they're dead they're extinct things yeah and that's where i think like the opening of this movie is like you know it's a good conversation of like are they unextinct or something like that? They have a term for them that they yeah. use. It's de-extinct. De-extinct. is what they say. And it, it is a conversation of like, well, technically these are endangered species, quote unquote, because there's only so many of them, but right. also they shouldn't even be here in the first place. And so I think that is an interesting, they are touching on some like, mm, some good little factors here. But overall, it's like, no, if you're going to go off of, like, the storyline itself, you have a track record of dinosaurs just killing people because people think they can handle it. And guess what? They can't. So how this mm -hmm. hasn't been completely just taken out at this point after, like, multiple tours gone missing. Yeah. So if you guys were facing the choice that our hero Claire has to make at the end of this movie between letting all of the dinosaurs die but maintaining the status quo and being done with it seemingly... Or letting all the dinosaurs free and like return moving into a new age of human dinosaur open relationships. I mean, like, she like watched all her co workers die. 
<laughs> and then it's like they should be free it's like how do you like think of i mean i know she doesn't i know she's the one that is like they should die but it's like it's a hard decision but if it's like between like what would make me feel better and then what would put the rest of the world at stake she made a good decision but it's like yeah like you watched all your co how is she not in jail if she is security manager of a park that has now killed like dozens of people yeah she should mm. definitely she should be in jail yeah i have some questions about all that too <laughs> yeah it is also a very strange ending to come down on for the little girl mm-hmm. because it's like this little girl who she seems cool she seems sweet she loves her granddad um then it turns out she's a clone and that's interesting, but it's, like, used as a plot twist, but not ever touched on right. again. But then mm-hmm. she's like, they're alive, just like me. And she has to let them go. So it's like, she, because she's also a clone, has sympathy for the dinosaurs? That seems like a very right far-fetched sort of a thing. Especially after she just got her ass chased around by these dinosaurs. <laughs> For two, for like the last hour of the movie. You're introducing us to a character that you're relying on, like, a, oh, she's a cute kid to like make us sympathetic for her. Like, what, like, right. would have been the real kicker is if we find out that, like, like halfway through the second movie, Claire is like the illegitimate, like, clone daughter of John Hammond or something. Like, that would have made us been like, oh, we've been with her for like four and a half hours now. Uh-huh. Now there's actually stakes and a decision to be like, oh, who am I? But I'm like, uh, I met yeah. this girl who like seems fun and cool, but like, I don't care. I don't like care anything about her. Like, who's her mom? Like, should I care about her mom? Like, how great of a person was she that she needed to be cloned? Like, it's just all right. these kind of questions regarding that, that they just like, you should be caring about this when I don't. The only time I think I actually cared was that one shot of like the, with Brachiosaurus, like crying as it gets enveloped in smoke on the island. Like uh-huh. they got me there because it just went like, oh, and I go, oh. <laughs> so that was the one time I felt and it wasn't even for any of the main characters. It was for a CGI dinosaur. Yeah, oh, man. that part is great. I'm unafraid. I'm unafraid to admit this on mic, although I know that I will <laughs> perhaps get some comments for it. But I truly cried both times watching it when the little girl says, "They're just like me." <laughs> truly, both times it got me. Yeah. But that okay. Well, wait, 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 wait. I just want to say about this very quickly okay. about the clone girl. A little tie-in. When I saw this in the theaters, I was like, oh, that's so weird. They're cloning humans now. Watching the original, having seen this movie, the first time we are introduced to the idea of what they're doing through the dinosaurs is through a video of John Hammond pretending to clone himself. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they weren't actually doing that, but we are like introduced to the concept mm-hmm. through humans in the first place, and then they explain that's what they're mm-hmm. doing with dinosaurs. So I do think there is at least some founding of this mm. strange twist. Although I do really wonder, like, how far do you go with it from here? Right. Or do you just never mention it again? And she's just like... That, that's like the biggest thing. Yeah, I feel like it's, you know, each one we're ramping up, we're going to, you know, breed a new type of diet. First, it was like the Indominus Rex, like a bigger, better T-Rex. And now we're going, let's put intelligence in them. You know, we're going to get blue and get that Velociraptor DNA, make an intelligent raptor. So we're like amping up our like DNA creation in a way. And then it's like, well, now we're doing humans. So what are they going to do in the third one? Either just never talk about it again, or we're going to have like a human dinosaur hybrid that they're going to try and do. I don't know. <laughs> 
they keep trying to ramp the stakes up and then we're losing both the integrity of the first movie and the source material and then just making it less and less realistic. I did believe in a way based on the auction, if you're going to take the plot into context, yeah, we're going to create a dinosaur that's going to be a killing machine for everybody. I do mm. believe that like for the the millionaires, the, you know, uh-huh. the military like i can see that being a plot point i don't buy the first movie where they're just like the focus groups that hate normal dinosaurs and i'm like have they been it's probably like a group of people you ask online that have never been to the park like every focus group is half people that don't care Uh, so it's like okay why would you do that and then again that went so wrong why are we doing it again I, I guess the people just think dinosaurs are cool. They're like kids that grew up and then didn't do their research for the group project. And then they just go, why is this happening? And it's like, well, if you looked this up, it happens. <laughs> I will say, I think the integrity of the first movie is gone by the second movie. Yeah. I don't think that's even in the question of this movie by the time we get to it. Also, this is a brief side note, but what is it with the Velociraptors never looking the same movie to movie? The Velociraptors do not have a consistent look across any of these movies. If somebody would like to explain to me how dinosaurs that were all bred to be clones of one another (laughs) started out as like kind of green gray in the first one, morphed to a red and black tiger pattern for the second and then become like blue and green and gray for the third, like bright colors. And now we're blue. I don't know. Inbreeding. It's very strange. Well, all the dinosaurs inbreeding. Maybe weird stuff. Emily, to your point about like uh, Marvel movies or, or like hero superhero movies, big, you know, big blockbuster right. movies in general. I am very excited for Jurassic Universe. Um, <laughs> exactly. I think when dinosaurs we get these dinosaurs, in dinosaurs in space, exactly. I was like, when we get <laughs> dinosaurs stakes. in space, the stakes are, are huge. They couldn't possibly hire. The comet comes back and bring, <laughs> brings them back. And only dinosaurs could stop the comet that was going to cause the extinction of the human race. The dinosaurs exactly. are going to go re-extinct. They're going to sacrifice themselves <laughs> on the comet. It's going to be great. It's going to be big. The whole world. And they're all going to be led by a little girl who is half human clone, half dinosaur, half velociraptor. At the very end, (laughs) she pops out a little claw and just wreaks havoc. I did for a moment worry that's where we're going when they zoom in on the little girl's eye and it's like the final shot before the ending montage. Uh They just hold on it for a while, like the dinosaurs, the T-Rex and the Velociraptor eye shots. Right. Oh, interesting. Whose DNA did they splice hers with? Right. (laughs) What kind of weird frogs did they have to mix up with her mom to to get that? Right. You know, to the whole making the bigger, badder dinosaur conversation, none of these world movies have made a bigger dinosaur than the Spinosaurus in 3, which these two movies clearly want you to forget about, but like have not made a bigger or a scarier monster than the real dinosaur we saw in 3, and they're just kind of being like, hey, don't worry about that guy. That was wrong. Yeah, what is up with that? What is what's going on with that? Because there's you even see like a Suchomimus or something else that's like similar to a Spinosaurus but smaller because mm-hmm. it would suck. It would really suck if there was something bigger than an Indominus Rex around. Right. Yeah. And the Spinosaurus is so cool. It's like super cool all on its own. Well, that's the thing with like I think like just scale too. It's like to compare this like to Godzilla in a way. It's like this massive creature that like you're a speck of dust to them 
what you know wow cool but also eh, like i'm more like the idea of a t-rex being the size of my head so it is like you can see them and you can imagine that in real life versus imagining mm-hmm. a dinosaur 40 stories high or whatever yeah. mm-hmm. um and so i think that was you know they were going a little too far out of their depth in three and then have you know made that internal assessment back and this is coming from somebody that worked on godzilla movies godzilla is too big <laughs> let's bring it back to realism here guys <laughs> I don't think this movie cares very much about the DNA plot line, though, or like the create the new monster thing. Because the last one's all about that. In this one, it's like there in the last 40 minutes. It's there the whole time because they send him to go get blue. It's the whole reason that Owen is on the island. Because they need that. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's there. But in terms of us having to watch the weird fake dinosaurs that they've made. Yeah. It's only there in the ending. And they purposely have a shot of, like, the dinosaurs stepping on the vials of, like, the mixtures right. to be like, hey, we're not going to do this again. Uh-huh. It's all real so dinos think- now. Yeah, I bet there's going to be there's going to be some huge thing in Jurassic They're going to have to be, like... We're going to have to do this one final time. We got to make the dinosaur to do like erase all dinosaurs. Here's my predictions for the next movie. They're going to do okay. something like that. Blue is going to have to like self-sacrifice to like for the greater good of saving the human race. And then we're going to lose either Claire or Owen. One of them is going to have to die because at this point mm. you got to start killing people off. because No one is happy until you start killing people off. They're going to kill one of the legacy, one of the legacy actors. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We watched the new Scream movie recently. And I think they put it best, like the requels and like all the different rules for, you know, like the horror yeah. movies. I mean, you have to, you know, Jurassic Park is a horror movie at a core. And especially <laughs> Fallen Kingdom, they got a horror movie director to do this. And so that's where I think there are some good tension scenes. And if we're going to play by the horror movie standards and rules, if you're bringing these people back, one of them is going to have to like meet their maker for like what they've yeah. done. Yeah. I don't know who. I don't have predictions as to who. It'd be great if they killed off Malcolm, but they didn't. Because that was the whole problem, like, with the first movie. But in the book, Malcolm dies. He just flat out is, like, killed off on like on a helicopter, like, leaving the island. He just dies. But mm. the performance was so good by Jeff Goldblum in the movie that the writer basically opens Jurassic Park 2. The, like, the book is a monologue from Malcolm going, like, they thought I was dead. I wasn't. And then he's just like back to life because he just wanted to see more Ian Malcolm by Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Yeah. I think what he writes is what the doctors did was amazing. Yeah. So it's like, I think that like if, if they do anything, do that. It could be a call back to the book. Anything that calls back to like the book in good ways, I, yeah. I, I have credit to. And that's the book has been right all along in the sense because the book even the whole plot is that velociraptors are on their way to the mainland. How do mm-hmm. we stop that? And I feel like it's mm. taken up until like this now to get to that point of the book being like, we can't let this get out. This is a dangerous creature that can like not part of our ecosystem, not part of our our world. And we're just now getting to that tension. But Velociraptors are now our friends because of all of this one stuff. Is, so we'll see. One is, one and is. it's unclear if there are others, how many others there are. But there also is also in the ending montage, isn't there a shot of like Wu with the briefcase getting handed over or something? So like there is the implication that people are making more dinosaurs again. And there's the whole idea, uh, you know, I'm not sure proven or disproven that the plot of the the following movie is going to be going back to get the Barbasol can with the original dinosaurs on the island. 
But that island is burned. That island gets killed in this movie, so... Gotta go digging. <laughs> it's there. I guess so. But that couldn't possibly still have... You're using that your could... people logic. You're not using your movie logic. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. That's very fair. Wow, I hope that's not what it is. Wait, what are the very brief stats on this movie before we get too carried away? I think we've covered a lot of it already, but mm-hmm. this movie, the fifth film in this Jurassic franchise, released June 22nd, 2018, three years after World. Uh, and this next one is going to be four years later, which is like, I feel like a longer gap in between than a lot of these other big budget things. So I like that. I will say that in favor of this. Mm-hmm. Directed by J.A. Bayona. He's a Spanish horror director. The films he had done prior to this are The Orphanage, which is like a haunted house movie, uh, The Impossible, which is a disaster movie, and A Monster Calls, which is a kid's horror movie. Mm. You start to see a little bit of uh, Colin Trevorrow's genius (laughs) in writing the script for this director of what elements they're going to put into the script they write for this man. Yeah. Recently, since this movie, he's been the guy directing the Lord of the Rings Amazon Ooh. Prime prequel show that's coming out mm-hmm. this year. Written by Colin Trevorrow and Derek Connolly, who wrote the last one together. Colin did not direct this because he was doing episode nine, which he also wrote with Derek, and then that all fell apart. Whoops, because he made a terrible movie before that. Okay, I will say, this movie, world's better than Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> I, I mean, like, a hundred times more watchable and mm-hmm. makes more sense, more consistent yes. to things that were set up in the previous yes. movie. So, you know. I will also say their script for their episode nine, Duel of the mm-hmm. Fates, is way better than Rise of Skywalker. Mm. And I, like, read it the day after seeing Rise of Skywalker, and I sometimes confuse, like, which is... Like, I was talking about the ending of that movie to my brother recently, and he was like, that's not the ending. And I was huh. like, oh, that was the Duel of the Fates <laughs> ending. <laughs> not what they did in the movie. Wow. Well, it's something you see, just going back to the director, you're seeing a lot of this now with these big budget movies. They're pulling these directors who have no big budget experience, and it's kind of uh, them acting as a pawn for the studio system. Uh, I don't want to like kind of name too many to then divulge like projects I've worked on in my own personal opinion in the film industry, but big, you know, $200 million movies and the directors are kind of like these first time being handed this large of a check for a project and the studio will turn around and be like, you don't know what you're doing. We'll help you out here. And I think that's where Mm -hmm. some decisions can go awry in a lot of ways because the director might have a good head on his shoulders, but when you're going from lower budget horror movie about an orphanage one place to being like, okay, now you have 2,000 VFX shots to make dinosaurs. We need you to go over here, here, and here and figure these decisions out right now. Uh, you're going to mm-hmm. typically have the studio stepping in going, well, you've never handled something like this. We have. We're going to help you out. And then they make the deci- those decisions for you. Sometimes mm-hmm. that can harm a movie in, in a lot of capacities. I know that's something that we've talked about before with some of the Marvel movies uh, Mm -hmm. and certainly with like when we were doing the Taika series, that's something that happened to Taika Waititi. And I think it's one of those instances where it turned out really, really well for both him and the studio when he directs Thor. But you can see that going if he wasn't such a confident director. Yeah, Yeah, it's a gamble. And that's why you will see, you know, some movies where they have like the crew is shifting so quickly over time because like 
they're expendable. You're not like signing on Steven Spielberg to do a new Jurassic Park because you can't get rid of him then, you know. But these mm-hmm. like, you know, lower budget, no name people, if they do bad, it's like a, it's a great way to point the blame on why a movie did bad. But if it did great, mm. you know, it's like they can go on. You know, it's a great thing for them, but they're easily just a scapegoat if a movie doesn't do as well for a studio because you're like, well, he's his first time doing yeah. this, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Taika, I mean had already done four movies over a decade, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Yeah. Whereas, like, Colin Trevorrow had done one small indie right. movie before getting handed the keys to yeah. Jurassic World, yeah. the first one. exactly. So, and this did pretty well. As we mentioned, it made $1.3 billion, <sighs> Two Worlds 1.6, was the third highest-grossing movie of 2018, and it made a little bit less than World, but it also had a smaller budget than Jurassic World. Okay. It was 170, and I think that World was in the 220 sort of range. Right. So those are the stats. Emmett, are there any story beats you want to talk about? I, I there, there are a couple of things I do want to talk about real quick. I've been tracking across this series either when you first see the dinosaurs or when they first get to the island. Mm. Let me say... They leave the island in this movie at the time in the first movie where you first see a dinosaur, like when they're first, like (laughs) when they're, like, they are already well onto that, which is really what tells you that this is not a movie about characters. Mm -hmm. Because the original Jurassic Park, it takes 40 minutes to set up characters, like here are these people, here are the conflicts, here's what's going on. It shows you something scary with the dinosaur up front so that you're, you're hooked. But then it takes its time to establish all that other stuff. And I think it's like not as clear in the second one, but it's still there. Um, And they basically just shorten, shorten, shorten Mm -hmm. the time. So on this one, the 40 minute mark, they're off the island. You're in basically into what feels to me like the third act of this movie that then takes an hour and 20 minutes uh, to play. You know, it's funny having it be a horror director that how much they do show it because there's, you know, a lot of. It's like support I don't know, I'm like floundering at the word but there's a lot of um data that supports not seeing something is like so much better you know like I mean to go mm-hmm. just to Spielberg in general Jaws and Jurassic Park how like I think I've read that there's only like eight minutes of actual dinosaur footage in the first Jurassic Park you know some low number like mm-hmm. that yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and it's because you're just going like what's that in the bushes what's crawling above us you know mm-hmm. running from it and I'm surprised for a horror director that these should be things that he I, he is aware of, you know, and maybe this was a studio pushback type of thing. And like, you know, what, mm. you know, people want to see dinosaurs, but to have it be like, we're on the island with the dinosaurs, seeing them running alongside them for the first 40 minutes. It, there's no horror there. Everything is all about it being in your face and like tensions there, mm-hmm. you know, the scene where it's like Franklin and Claire in the uh, bunker where the lava is coming down and there's the dinosaur there mm. coming after mm-hmm. them. It's like, sure, but it would have been so much scarier if like, what if you like, couldn't see because the lava's blocking you. You don't know where it's going to poke through at. We're relying on CGI too much and relying on those dinosaurs too much that we we do lose the characters, I think. You know, I think it's really interesting because it feels like a horror movie a lot more. Like the first 40 minutes feels so much like the end of Jurassic World, the first one. And it's like, oh, okay, this is just like, that makes sense. This is the sequel to that movie. And then the last hour plus of this movie is something... Very different. Now you can agree or disagree about how good it is, how, yeah. like how much fun we like, but it is very different structurally. And it's like a horror. It is that horror movie setup. They're all in the house. You've got trap protagonists, and I do think 
you haven't seen the Indoraptor until like late in the game there. And that is the, the villain monster of this movie. Mm-hmm. So there is something there where it almost feels like he directed, like the directing starts 40 minutes in. It's a good point. Yeah. You know, like this, this turns into a movie where you care about characters and stuff about 40 minutes in. And give me the super cut. Just lift the first chunk out. Yeah, exactly. You could have, it could have been, that could have been way more condensed for sure. I think it turns into a different type of movie than you have seen in the Jurassic Park Mm -hmm. world Mm -hmm. in the last 40 minutes. And before that, it is doing what you already know. Right. Yeah. I think that is more, but I think a lot of that stuff early on is really well directed too. I, (laughs) I would push against that. I think the scene where they're in the gyrosphere and they go underwater, like, I think that's, one of oh, the best sequences cool. yeah that is, that is you cool. know i will give it the credit for that like visually that was a really fun you know like te- there's tension there underwater you know i could see where like they would like stitch together a couple shots but having it feel like the one continuous is like really well done yeah. i think the whole movie is really well directed visually not talking so much about how much cgi which i think gets a little wonky mm-hmm. by the end but just in terms of like where they've put the camera and there are like so many good shots in this movie so much more tension than has been in the last couple of Jurassic Park movies in a lot of these sequences. And that's mostly what I really like about it, to be honest. It's just that I think it is mostly really thrilling. I think the directing relies a lot on the previous movies and it's stealing a lot. I watched a, a shot-by-shot recap of the first time they see the dinosaurs in the Jurassic Park and the first time they see the dinosaurs in Fallen Kingdom. And it is pretty much mm. shot for shot watching the Brachiosauruses. Mm. And so I think there's a lot that they are pulling from because they like know what works, quote unquote. And with like CGI, you know, in a lot of ways, like that's directing, but not a lot of it happens in post and you have so much more freedom to shift. And I think mm. a lot was just in those early dinosaur CGI moments pulling just from previous movies and previous what what works. I think there is something to be said about the the house scene and that kind of tension and stuff. All right. Wait, is there any behind-the-scenes drama Not that we haven't already covered. I mean, okay. I guess the other thing is that J.A. Bayona was originally going to direct Jurassic World. He was the favorite for that mm. before Trevorrow got involved. And it was Trevorrow who, in turn, I think, wrote this for him and, and asked him to do it when he was off for nine. Interesting. I guess, and this will lead us into cultural context, because this movie came out in... Uh, summer 2018, but it was filmed in February 2017, immediately after the inauguration. (laughs) So I feel like a lot of (laughs) sort of references in this movie maybe feel, I don't even know, old hat by the time this comes out or by when you're watching it in 2022. Mm -hmm. But I will just say that it was filmed a month after uh, let me just say that this that this movie hits it on the nose so hard because at first you're like, oh, it's a corporate creep. But then there's a guy who comes in who actually has Donald Trump's haircut and, <laughs> yes, exactly. and is like running around in it. And he's this horrible little man who you just hate and you just like love to hate him. And that's part of what I love about this movie is I love the two villains in this movie. I hate mm-hmm. both of them right. so much that I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like it's thrilling because I feel like Jurassic Park has never really leaned into the human villain quite. Like, Ludlow is not a villain per se. Like, there's weird moral gray stuff there, and he gets what he deserves. He gets eaten at the end. 
But he is not villainous, you mm. know? He's not... He's, like, trying to make some money and right. he's unethical. But he's not yeah. just killing... He's not gonna, like, smother... Like, you don't picture Ludlow smothering Hammond with a pillow. Which is just awesome! This is such a great... Such a great scene. I don't think we've ever seen a human villain just kill another human. Right. There is, yeah. like, almost no human-on-human violence in any of these movies. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, such a big shift. Especially in the second half of this movie. Right. Yeah. Wait, what about Jeff Goldblum? I see something about Jeff Goldblum in here, Wade. Just that almost all of Malcolm's dialogue in this movie is taken from the books. Oh. Oh. I think almost every single line, except for obviously the stuff where he's talking about like cell phones and the internet and whatever. Mm -hmm. But almost every single line he has in those two little bookend scenes he does is just a Malcolm quote from the book that hadn't been used in the movies that they take. You know, that was a big point of controversy, I think, when the trailer came out versus the actual movie, because pretty much his scene is the trailer. And everyone's like, Mm. oh, Malcolm's going to be a big part in this, guys. And then literally you get him. And then, like, when we finished the movie, we realized we only saw him, like, those, like, small times. And it was like, I thought we were going to get a lot more. It's like with um, Brian Cranston in Godzilla when that movie came out. You get this whole thing Mm -hmm. of, like, Brian Cranston's going to be in Godzilla, guys, 2014, let's go. And they kill him off within 20 minutes. Oh, wow. Coming from a trailer marketing background, that's they're doing exactly their job as, like... I don't give a crap what the movie is about, but what's going to get people into the theater? And so it's like, well, Ian Malcolm is going to get people to come see this movie thinking they'll get to see him. And they do. So it'll be interesting to see this, you know, the new movie where, you know, I do think the legacy characters are going to have a bigger role to play than he did in this. But it'll be interesting to see how much they do use them. It is funny in that trailer for the new one that both Jeff Goldblum and Sam Neill look so much younger than they did in their last film appearances in this series. Oh, uh-huh. Like, Malcolm in this looks like old man, you know, retired. He's got the beard, yeah. he's got the suit. Yeah. And then in the new one, he's, like, clean-shaven, young, in the open shirt. <laughs> Sam Neill looks so much better than he did in 3. <laughs> yeah. So, hmm. that is interesting. Something else about this movie that I just want to call out is that it is really going for jokes in a way that a lot Hmm. of the others have not been, Mm -hmm. which is nice after world, which is like so dour. The only joke that Jurassic world has is like hitting itself in the face with a frying pan. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I feel like that's part of the course correction with Chris Pratt Mm -hmm. in his character. It's just that they're like, Oh, we'll let him be funny. But is he that funny? Is he that funny in this movie? No, but no. he makes jokes, which he didn't in the last one. He's a lot better than whatever he was doing in the last movie. It's all, I feel like a lot of these characters, they were just like, and be yourself, have fun with it. And that's how we ended up with the characters mm-hmm. in this movie. Yes, when you when you said wrote, that Colin Trevorrow wrote this movie, Wade, I was like, are we sure? <laughs> <laughs> how much writing went into this? Okay, Emily, I've got a question for you to help start to wrap things up here. Who is your MVP other than the protagonist, which I don't know who the protagonist in this movie is. So I would take off Owen and Claire and you can choose anyone else other than that. The character that I definitely like vibed with the most was Franklin because I thought he was the most realistic interpretation of somebody that's like, I'm a data pusher, Mm -hmm. you know, I do this. And then he doesn't stop screaming from the second he steps onto the island. And I'm like, that's how we all would be. I feel like mm-hmm. you can be you can be excited for dinosaurs and be like sick, but the second that they are loose and you know there is like a T Rex that has a high body count and you don't know where it is, how are you not like get me off this island? 
he's the best. I relate to him the most, and I wish the best for him. I love Franklin. I love Justice Smith, the actor. He's so good. Yeah. I don't know. I just think that he's like the best new character we've had in one of these movies in a long time. Like how they have not gotten to the trope of like a germaphobe who is absolutely terrified of dinosaurs being on dinosaur Island before now is wild that it took this long, but it is such a good execution of that. All previous movies, especially going back to like, you know, like Jurassic Park two and three, you have people afraid Mm -hmm. of dinosaurs but they all have like a stoic moment in it, you know? It's like they're mm. like they're running, but they're always like, Well, we gotta find like our like our lost son or oh, we gotta find my wife. Everyone seems to be like a braver face than everybody. And like Franklin feels like what it would be. It's like we're going back to um Lex. Yeah. But like, you know, she like I just always think about her just screaming, you know, they pull her out of the car when the T Rex attacks mm-hmm. and she just loses it. That's what we all would be doing. We'd be like, mm-hmm. oh my God. And so the fact that Franklin, even though he's like hasn't seen one yet, everything he talks about is like, what was that with a dinosaur? It's like that's how we all would be when they're no longer in cages. So I yeah. do think, yeah, he's probably the mo- like the character that we all can relate to in our like even if we don't admit it, like we do and the most realistic of the situation. I also thought to to this point about this character that these two sidekicks, him and the woman who I'm not sure, don't remember what her name was. Zia. Zia. They were the first sidekicks that since, at least since the first movie, maybe ever, that have had both a personality and a thing that they are good at. So that they're like actually a useful part of a team and make a difference in a storytelling perspective. They have to move it forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's like that has not happened since Vince Vaughn kind of moves the plot forward in Lost World when he brings out the wrench, which is completely arbitrary in that film, too. I love the sequence, maybe my favorite in the whole movie, where they have to do the blood transfusion Mm. on the ship. And like he has to be the one who holds it down and they have to like sneak around Mm -hmm. the T-Rex while it's sleeping and wake up. Yeah, Mm. I love that part. And I do feel like Franklin and Zia kind of disappear in the third. Yeah, I wish they had a little more to do. But I'm sure they're they're bringing them back for the new movie, right? Yeah, they are in the next one. So I'll get some more. Hopefully they'll get eaten. I mean, I like them, but I hope they'll get eaten because somebody somebody has to. There are also a lot of new cast members. In They're going to get eaten. Which is uh, who I'm guessing <laughs> is going to get eaten. Yeah, you're going to actually get eaten. Uh, okay, wait. Who's your MVP OTP? Okay, my favorite is also Franklin. I would give my MVP then in turn, I think, to Toby Jones playing Auction Man. <laughs> Whoever, I don't even, it's not a character, but he just elevates it so much with his presence. That incredible shot of his hair toupee flying back as he's about to get eaten. I just feel like he's like really classes up the joint in this movie in the last half. Really does. I know he's been in a couple of Marvel movies, maybe a Marvel movie or some some superhero Mm -hmm. movie as a villain, but I think never used quite right. Mm -hmm. I feel like he would be really good in this new franchise of Batman movies, though, if they could find the right... They've already got the Penguin killed, so I don't know. I know, I know, but there's got to be some other weird little guy that he could... Professor Pig? Yeah. Yeah. I do think this movie is very, very reactionary to (laughs) the last one, and Mm -hmm. I feel like that's part of why it's only the bad guys who get these really vicious deaths. Oh. After all the blowback about the secretary being eaten right. mm-hmm. in the last one. 
And even that this movie, like the first time you see Claire, it's a shot of her shoes. <laughs> and she's like not wearing heels. She's wearing flats. Oh my God. And then they like pan up the camera to the rest yeah. of her. I feel like a lot of this movie is. Yeah, because was the whole thing of like her just running through the whole movie in heels. And it was like, ditch your shoes mm-hmm. at that point. Life or death. You ain't got to look cute, girl. Yeah. I know you have work boots. Like you run <laughs> Jurassic World. I know you have right. work boots. Yeah. Emmett, who's your MVP? I'm going to go with Eli, I think his name is, the creepy assistant. He is fascinating to watch. Mm-hmm. In every scene that he's in, he's playing everything, like I said, so loudly. Like, just... But it's... <laughs> but it's, like, just unhinged enough that it works. I mean, works. I love the scene where he just, like, unloads on, like, Maisie the little girl. And then he goes, like, I'm sorry, uh-huh. I'll come and, like, read you a book in a minute. I think we've all been there, like, when my dog won't stop being in my way. And I'm just like, just mm-hmm. sit down! I'm sorry. I'll come pet you in a second. I'll be right there. That definitely was a, yeah. a fan favorite moment. Yeah, and I love all this stuff with him and him and Maisie. I think that does get interesting. That's like a cool dynamic that we haven't seen before in any of these mm-hmm. movies. Like we said about like the human villain chasing around the kid and like that being the tension there. I think mm-hmm. that's cool. Um, so I would give it to him. I think it's a good performance by Rafe Spall, but you kind of uh-huh. got to wonder if Sam Rockwell was busy. Like, what was he doing at oh, the time damn. for them not to have cast him as that role? Damn. Interesting. That's interesting. Emily, do you have any final thoughts on Jurassic World Fallen Burn Kingdom it. before we wrap this up? Burn it? Okay. <laughs> should just put the DVD on the island with the volcano and just let it become one. It's fun. Like I said, if you want to check out, it's fun. But I do think it's got like that. What would you say, Wade? It was like the, the middle movie syndrome. Mm-hmm. I think that definitely is a detriment to it where we're sacrificing a lot just to carry our characters through to the next plot point. Yeah, it's fun, but give me Jurassic Park, the OG should have just been there and done. Fair enough. It is interesting because you feel like you could just do an entirely new movie about people yeah. and dinosaurs interacting and come up with some other different way for that to have happened. You could still have, a, mm. you know, you could still have a Jurassic World. Like we built a thing. I mean, you could even still do like DNA and dinosaurs. Like these are these ideas that are presented in Jurassic Park aren't like new ideas like they are and they aren't you know it's like you break it down there's only so much you can do with technology and so you could easily be like oh we've been sequencing human dna in a computer for forever and we've been making tweaks and seeing what that brings us because now we have programs to like visualize dna so like some guy could just be spending 20 years of his life playing around with it and been like i've done it i've created dinosaurs and then bring them back you know and which I think is so interesting about Jurassic World, I guess, in a way is, I mean, if you call the T-Rex a character, but that one really doesn't bring a lot back. Typically, you have with the reboots, you're bringing yeah. back somebody else when you're tying it into that. So the fact that it came out without any character and stood on its own is impressive. It kind of shows you the state of the franchise when we're now having to bring back those actors. And it's like, well, I guess you can't stand on your own anymore. Sounds like you need the magic of the first one, which I don't know if it'll bring or not, because there's a lot missing just besides characters. Because Colin Trevorrow is doing the new one, right? He's back. Mm-hmm. I have my reservations about him. So, you know, I'm, yep. I'm curious to see how much these characters are going to, like, be themselves, you know, and be the ones we think they are. Because, mm-hmm. hmm. yeah, I do think that Malcolm feels like himself in this movie. I wrote that down. Wade, final thoughts? I just want to say that I really like Bryce Dallas Howard pretty much from every angle. I think she's a really good actress and like makes a lot of interesting choices. 
both in how she plays parts and in projects she takes on. Uh, I also think that she's a really good director, which is another thing I really like. I think she's one of like the only modern Star Wars directors who like understands what makes Star Wars really exciting and fun. Mm-hmm. Even compared to like a lot of other directors on The Mandalorian and other stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I really love her and I like this movie because it does feel like her movie to me mm-hmm. in a way that I can't really tell whose movie Jurassic World is. She does have an arc when a lot of other people don't because you have her going from free the dinosaurs to then questioning what does it mean to free the dinosaurs. So I yeah. think she does have that moment when, yeah, a lot of other characters you can't really say the same for in a lot of ways. Yeah, and you have her and Owen who have like never been able to make it work, and now they're like adopted parents to a little girl. And that is like a compelling relationship. I'm excited to see where it mm-hmm. goes, but I'm a little less sold on the Owen side of things because I feel like his primary relationship is with Blue. And that's like what has been fleshed out so much more than with any other human Uh in these movies. Okay, I do think that this one is well directed. And I at the end of the day, a lot of why I like this movie is because I feel like they've put a lot of tension into the scenes and they've come up with like some really clever scenes. That's like about as much as I expect from these movies at this point. Mm -hmm. I think the introduction is really good and like grabs you in. I love the gyrosphere scene in the water. I love the transferring blood scene on the ship. The scene where they have to drive the van onto the ship and it's like pulling away is just like an insane thing. All of that, even the fact that there is like a hand-to-hand fight Mm -hmm. in this movie for the first time ever Mm -hmm. is kind of going to like the cartoonification that this movie is going for. Which really works for me, but I get it not working as much, especially compared to the tone of the original. Okay, my last final thought is that an incredible thing happened to me while watching this movie, which is that our, like, speaker system has Alexa on it and heard us talking during the movie and thought that we asked Alexa to play songs from Moana. I don't know how this possibly happened because we didn't say either of those (laughs) words. During the auction scene, when the little hard-headed guy gets loose and there's, like, the whole breakout fight, the movie kept playing, but it took away all of the audio and it started playing We Know the Way from Moana. And when I tell you that it synced up perfectly. <laughs> perfectly. They sent me a video and it synced up Oh my perfectly. god. Perfectly. Yes. We might try and post the video That's on Instagram. That's amazing. We might get copyright strike, so I don't know. But it's, uh, you know, it's Lin-Manuel Miranda and he keeps going, away, away. <laughs> As, like, all of the people are running out of way from oh the auction. Oh, my God. It just really improved the whole thing. I believe so. it. Just turn Jurassic Park into a musical. Where's that at? I mean, Jurassic Park on Broadway, I'm pretty sure, is opening in a couple I'm sure, days, yeah. So. <laughs> Emmett, what are your final thoughts on this Fallen Kingdom? One of you said it earlier about the whole point of this new series is to get to the point where it's Jurassic mm-hmm. World. The first Jurassic World doesn't ever get there. The second one it gets there at the very end. I'm interested to see what it is once it actually is a Jurassic World. Right. I totally agree with Emily that I think they should just have let this die. Like, very clearly that Jurassic Park 3 should have been the nail in the coffin. Right. And I do think Jurassic Park 3 is a fine movie. It's like it, fun to I watch. loved it growing up. I can't tell you why, but it was my favorite. <laughs> 
But there's completely nothing in that movie of, like, the thematic or character or, like, writing qualities of the original. And so, like, once you get there, it's, like, because at this point it feels like they're trying to turn it almost into, like, a slasher Mm -hmm. franchise. But they're not, the body count isn't high enough. If you're going to do that, it's, like, a slasher for kids. You need better tension and more death, I think, to sell it. I don't know. I obviously it's not going to be over um, yet until it's not over until Dominion happens, but I doubt it'll be over then. And that's what I'm right. afraid of, basically. It's just like ad infinitum. Like, is there ever going to be anything that I loved when I was a kid that hasn't retroactively become stupid because of the number of sequels made about it? I think the safe one is The Princess Bride. And no one I will ever that's the one that's never getting touched the one time they did touch it was that like covid home video and that was stunning was it the, all the same no no, no this was like the they like they basically one covid started they all redid the script but it was like each actor got like what like a minute or like 30 seconds and so you just have all these different like actors coming together filming princess bride in little small uh-huh. chunks like a big like coll- like a collaborative project it's a lot of fun <laughs> But that is a totally, that's a totally different yeah, it thing. It is, than, but it, than... I'm like, so it's like, I, I endorse that one thing for Princess Bride, but do not touch it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I am going to give you guys the bums the word quiz oh. now. For, I'm going to describe films and you're going to try and guess the name. The two lists that I'm pulling from are 10 times movies depicted big businesses as the villain. <laughs> and Screen Rant, Like a Boss, 10 Most Hilarious Corporate Villains in the Movies. Uh, For the first film on the quiz today, this is a large, another franchise, a really fascinating one that, like, I've never seen a movie from that I think could be really cool to do on this podcast, but I really don't know. It's about the zombie apocalypse and the zombie apocalypse being caused by a big evil corporation. I believe it is based on a series of video games, but the video games may in fact be based on the movies. I'm not sure. Is it a Resident Evil movie? It is Resident Evil. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So when I was watching this movie, I wrote down Uh that Zia looks exactly like Jill Valentine from all of the Resident Evil movies is styled exactly like her. Oh, wow. And then I looked her up and found out that she had played Faye Valentine in the uh, live action Cowboy Bebop, yeah, the Cowboy Bebop. That's funny. Wait, there's a Cowboy Bebop live action. Uh, is it? I I haven't seen it yet, but I've also not finished the Cowboy Bebop series. But mixed reviews, okay. it came out, but it was canceled. So I guess we'll never know. Guess we'll never know. Yeah, and Netflix like never cancels anything, right? Officially, and they officially canceled it like a month after it came out. They so. like keep canceling these shows, like these live actions that like, get terrible reviews, and then they just keep making them. Like they announced like a One Piece live action, and it's like, didn't you just cancel a live action anime reboot? Because like, and it was right. the one that like there were fans of it. There were like a good chunk. It was like fifty fifty versus like the rest of them feel like an mm-hmm. you know eighty twenty dislike ratio. All right. So next next is movie number two. It's a science fiction film from nineteen ninety seven, starring a famous action star and also one of our well one of my favorite actors anyway as the villain that got it on this list. He is a futuristic corporatist baddie. He owns gun companies and taxi companies and has a really weird looking outfit. Oh, why am I forgetting? Is this Fifth Element? 
It is Fifth Elements. Nice work. <laughs> you know, they never meet in that. The villain and the protagonist never actually meet in that movie. That is a fascinating bit of trivia. So the next movie is from 2014. It's an animated film, although the Academy might disagree. Um, is this the Lego movie? <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> the snub still burns. Damn. Still burns. Okay, this next movie is from 1987, another science fiction movie. He is one of the most infamous evil corporate executives of the 1980s cinema. Um, he could be viewed as an amalgamation of everything wrong with the decade's cutthroat business ethics. Is this a RoboCop movie? It is RoboCop, the original. Okay. I have not seen RoboCop. I have I not have seen either. it either. All right, this next movie is reportedly a comedy. It's from 2008. Reportedly a comedy? It is <laughs> famous, famously a movie within a movie. And the character that got this on the list is the in-world producer um, executive calling the shots on the movie within the movie. Oh, okay. Uh, is this Tropic Thunder? That is correct. It is Tropic Thunder. Okay. All right, next up. We have got a classic movie from 2005. It's a remake of a movie from the 1970s. It stars Jim Carrey and Jurassic Park tie-in, Tia Leone. Whoa. The name might remind one of the names of a popular children's learn-to-read series from even earlier than the movie, um, than the original movie, like from the 1940s and 50s. Jack and Jill? Isn't that something different? That's close. That's You're close. Um Right. The plot follows a married couple that has to resort to a life of crime in order to oh, stay afloat you know, after a Evan's company. Evan's going to listen to this podcast and hate me because he has talked to me about this movie <laughs> and has told me I need to watch it. So now he's going to like come to me. <laughs> I don't. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, they go on like a whole road trip or something. Probably. I I haven't seen this movie, so I oh, I would no. not I would not know myself. You said this movie is a classic, or it's a remake of a it's a remake of a 1977 classic. This is from 2005. Is it like a Bonnie and Clyde type of movie? No. Is the title just the names? Uh, it is the names with like one other thing. You, me, and Dupree. Nope. I told you it had Jim Carrey right. in it, right? Okay, so you can picture a cover of this movie. If you are picturing the cover of this movie, it has got Jim Carrey and Tia Leone. They look like fun, flirty, young professionals. He's on one side, she's on the other. Right in the middle, Mm -hmm. um, there's the big red title on a white background. (sighs) Running with scissors is the thing that's coming to me, but I don't think it's that. Fun with Dick and Jane is the name of the movie. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. I, I've never seen it. I would have, I would have confused it with Mr. and Mrs. Smith if you had put it put me <laughs> up for it. So, okay. All right, this next movie is a 2006 sci-fi comedy, uh, full of familiar faces like Maya Rudolph, Dax Shepard, and Terry Crews. Oh, in this movie, two people decide to become a part of a military experiment with human hibernation. They hibernate for 500 years and then they wake up in a future where they are the smartest men on earth. Because the rest of the world had got dumb. <laughs> this movie stars Luke Wilson, I believe. I don't think I know this movie. Yeah, I've never heard of this movie. You just gave me so much and none of it rang a bell. So I don't think I know what this is. That would be the film Idiocracy <laughs> from 2006. Oh, uh, okay. Last but not least, I don't know what number this is. And Emily, if you guess this right, you, you win. So good luck. Um, we've got... <laughs> It's another Jim Carrey movie. No. 
It's another movie where big business might be considered the villain, although maybe the entertainment... This is the Truman Show? It is, in fact, the Truman Show. You're correct. I, I was waiting. That's when we said Jim Carrey for the last one. I was like, oh, yeah, Truman Show. And then it was... You have won the game, uh, Emily. Thank you so Yay! much for being here. <laughs> is there any place where the people can find your voice, your work, any anything, projects you'd like to plug? No. <laughs> no? <laughs> I, I usually do a lot of work with my husband. He's kind of like the powerhouse entertainer in our, our family. But I'm sure if you follow him, you've seen my editing on a couple of his shorts. But typically, I work in feature films. If you watched um, Godzilla King of Monsters, I brought those people food uh, that cut the movie. <laughs> and then nice. most recently, I worked on a movie called Cop Shop, which Gerard Butler and Frank Grillo and I helped put the movie together. Uh, at the end process with my amazing uh, editor, Kevin. So yeah, I'm a lot of behind the scenes work. I'm not really that vocal, but uh, I had a blast of a time being vocal today on the podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for being here. Yeah, we really appreciate you making time in your busy schedule, making the movies that we love to watch. So yeah, appreciate it. Up next, Cinema Bums. We'll be talking about Jordan Peele's Nope in 17 Weeks. Also, Wendell and Wild are written by Jordan Peele and directed by Henry Selick, dropping on Netflix this October. So another Jordan Peele joint that we get to talk about this same year. Truly an embarrassment of riches. Mm-hmm. Other than that, we'll be back on Friday to rank the Jurassic Park movies and uh, talk about the short films, talk about maybe some other predictions for Dominion, although we talked a little bit about that today, and announce our next miniseries. Woo-hoo! Um, which really puts the emphasis on many. So no, I hope you, you are not. Will... You are not. What, what are you covering? You can tell I me after the fact. I, I don't know. Say, I'm making. We can tell you after. What did you think? <laughs> what did you think from that? The Minnie Mouse movie? That's not no. what I'm talking about. Yeah, I was thinking Minions, but <laughs> here's here's a question for you right now. Do you think if we do the Minions ever as a series, do, do we have to do Despicable Me also, or can we just do the Minions? You gotta do Despicable Me. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, I'm unwilling to do it. If it was just the minions, I'm in. Everybody out there on this lovely, warm spring day, stay frosted. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Wade Lawrence Holloman and me, Emmett Temple. Wade also edits and mixes the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram, at Cinemabums, or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week. 